ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. When we feel better, we do better. That simple message is what Feel Better with Tara Styles is all about. We share informative, inspiring, and healing conversations with respected leaders whose work embodies the action of making our world a better place. We also share simple practices based in meditation, tai chi, and gentle yoga that are a relief to breathe along with, whether you have time to stretch out on the ground or you're busy getting ready for your day. Settle in and enjoy learning something new that will surely support your well-being, inspire your creativity, and help you feel a whole lot better. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hello, FP Playlist listeners. This is Ravi Agarwal, Editor-in-Chief of Foreign Policy. For this week's playlist, we're featuring the latest interview from FP Live, our magazine's forum for live journalism, where we discuss world affairs with the greatest minds and experts. Take a listen. Hello and welcome to FP Live, Foreign Policy Magazine's Forum for Live Journalism. I'm Ravi Agrawal, FP's Editor-in-Chief. Our featured guest today could not be better timed given the latest news out of Ukraine. We'll be joined by NATO's Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. We'll bring him on in just one minute. Before we do, a few ground rules. If you've attended one of these before, you know the drill. You're probably also noticing our snazzy new live site. We hope you like it as much as we do. You can scroll through and watch all of our previous interviews and related articles. If it's your first time with us, FP Live is where we convene experts and policymakers and world leaders to discuss global affairs. Subscribers get to ask questions too, which I sometimes select. In any case, your feedback informs my line of questioning. Write in on the comments box. Now, the past week has seen the Ukrainian military make incredible advances in the war regaining control of some 2,400 square miles in the Kharkiv region in the east and around Kherson on the southern coast. This is a stunning success, representing more ground than Russia's taken in the last few months of fighting. But it's important to remember that winter's coming. Energy prices have risen sharply, as has inflation, putting pressure on many Western economies. Russia's war in Ukraine has thrust into the spotlight the transatlantic military partnership, NATO, its original rationale to keep the Soviet Union out, the Americans in and the Germans down, doesn't quite hold true anymore. But the central idea of keeping Russia out is more pertinent than ever before, hence NATO's importance. Who better to speak with today than Jens Stoltenberg? He is, of course, NATO's Secretary General prior to leading NATO. He was the United Nations Special Envoy on Climate Change from 2013 to 2014, and Norway's Prime Minister from 2005 to 2013. That was his second stint in that job. Secretary General, great to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Ravi, and I'm very much looking forward to answer your questions and be part of this uh, uh, engagement. Likewise. So let's start with the news from last week. Explain to us what Ukraine's territorial gains mean for the trajectory of the conflict in the coming weeks and months. 
the gains the Ukrainians have made over the last uh, weeks, of course, are uh, extremely encouraging um, because it proves that uh, Ukraine has the capability uh, to regain territory, to take back and liberate uh, occupied territory. And uh, this is a great uh, also recognition of the strength of the Ukrainian armed forces, of their courage, their bravery, their skills, their determination. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, it also has boosted morale uh, uh, throughout Ukraine. Uh, and of course, uh, the, uh, the uh, progress, uh, the advances the Ukrainian armed forces have, um, have made is not only due to their own courage, but also the fact that uh, NATO allies and partners have uh, provided unprecedented uh, support uh, with uh, uh, military support, uh, ammunition, weapons, uh, different capabilities over months, and uh, this is now making a difference on the battlefield every day. At the same time, uh, we need to uh, uh, realize that the war is not over. Uh, uh, Russia still controls uh, roughly 20% of Ukraine's territory, and uh, Russia uh, still has substantial military powers. They can uh, mobilize even more. Uh, so we need to continue to provide support to Ukraine, and we need to uh, be prepared uh, for long haul. Yeah, indeed. You know, now, many of us are describing the last week as unprecedented, as a turning point. But there are many military experts who say that the last week was, in fact, not a turning point. The turning point came in July, where we saw a big change with long-range strikes by Ukraine against Russian logistics and command and control. And given that, given that maybe the turning point began in July, we're now seeing an acceleration of that change. I have to ask you this. The war began in February. Why did it take so long to supply Kyiv with HIMARS and ML MLRS systems? First of all, I think we need to realize that um, uh, all wars are very unpredictable. Uh, we were very precise in predicting the invasion. Uh, actually, uh, NATO and uh, uh, US intelligence services and, uh, and NATO allies, especially United States and, and United Kingdom, they uh, predicted uh, very precisely that Russia was building up uh, and planning an invasion of Ukraine. Uh, so when the invasion happened, we were uh, very prepared. Uh, we reacted immediately. Uh, we actually have started before the invasion to increase NATO presence in the eastern part of the alliance. And after the invasion, we further increased that presence uh, with more troops, but also with more uh, naval and, and, and air power to send a very clear message to Russia that we are there to protect uh, every inch of NATO territory and also, of course, enable NATO allies to, uh, to do what they do uh, to provide support uh, to Ukraine. Um, uh, uh, and, and that's exactly uh, why NATO presence in the East is so uh, important. Then, of course, it has been evolving the type of uh, capabilities, uh, weapons uh, we are delivering. I welcome that allies have stepped up and are doing more. Uh, and then we need to constantly assess uh, 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 what more is needed, and we are doing that in close dialogue with Ukraine. I myself attended uh, the meeting uh, at Rammstein, uh, the US and NATO base in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, where uh, NATO allies and partners met uh, under the US leadership uh, to discuss exactly what kind of support, how to, how to sustain the support, and the different types of weapons. and. Uh, and the different requirements which uh, Ukraine needs. Right. right. Now, given everything you say, given the level of support, the level of involvement among NATO 
uh, allies uh, in this war. Um, is there a sense of any regret that perhaps, uh, you know, Ukraine could have been admitted into NATO uh, a year ago, two years ago to prevent this war from happening instead of dealing with it after the fact? NATO is an alliance of 30 democracies and soon to be 32 uh, with uh, Finland and uh, Sweden. We make decisions uh, by consensus in NATO. Uh, all allies need to agree. Uh, and uh, we made a decision uh, that uh, Ukraine will become a member of NATO back in 20, uh, 2008 at the Bucharest summit. I was there as then Norwegian prime minister. Uh, uh, but allies have had different views on uh, when uh, uh, Ukraine uh, should become a member. What we have agreed on uh, is the need to support and help Ukraine. And NATO allies have supported and, uh, and helped Ukraine since 2014. Uh, again, especially United States, uh, Canada and United Kingdom have been uh, extremely uh, supportive when it comes to training, uh, building mm -hmm. capacity, and NATO has also helped to modernize uh, the Ukrainian armed forces. So the Ukrainian armed forces are much bigger, much right. stronger, much better equipped, much better trained now than in 2014. And that's one of the reasons we're actually able to strike back to, 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 to stall the the, the, the Russian uh, offensive in Donbass and I should take uh, back territory in Kherson and uh, not least in Kharkiv. Uh, mm. So the focus now is on enabling the Ukrainians to defend themselves, to pull the right for self-defense. And then uh, the issue of NATO membership is something we need, we need to address, I think, when we are in a more stable situation and we are uh, uh, as we speak uh, with the war going on in Ukraine. That makes sense. That makes sense. Given everything you say about the different viewpoints within NATO, within all of these democracies that that make up NATO, and the fact that all of this great support that NATO has given Ukraine to turn the tide of the war um, over the last few months, much of it is heavily reliant uh, on American support. And given, given that that's the case, I have to ask, because this is sort of the mood here in the United States, um, how worried are you about a win for Republican candidates backed by Donald Trump in the upcoming midterm elections. And I ask this question because surely a, a Trump resurgence cannot be good news for NATO. It's not for NATO and not for me as Secretary General to go into, uh, as I say, uh, domestic discussions and elections in different NATO allied countries, including uh, in the United States. But I'm confident that uh, all NATO allies, including the United States, are ready to continue to uh, provide support to Ukraine. Uh, this is a moral responsibility, but it's also about our own security interests. Because if we allow uh, President Putin to win in Ukraine, it's not only bad for the Ukrainians, but uh, uh, the security of all NATO allies will be worse off, but, but, but uh, uh, will, say, will be weakened, uh, because Secretary then uh, President Putin uh, would have seen that he is able to reach his goals right. uh, by using military powers, uh, invading a neighbor, using brutal military force to achieve his political goals. That's dangerous for all of us, and therefore I'm confident uh, that uh, NATO allies will provide support as long as it takes Right. Uh, to, uh, to to secure or to ensure that uh, uh, Ukraine remains a sovereign, independent uh, country in Europe, and that's in the interest of North America, Europe, uh, uh, Canada, United States together to achieve that goal. No, I, I agree with your point there. I, my question was more hypothetical in that were America to reduce its levels of support, surely that would be damaging for NATO's support uh, of Ukraine right now. 
Yes, of course, because the U.S. is so important. Uh, the U.S. is by far the largest NATO allies, uh, ally, and the U.S. has been the ally that has provided the most support to Ukraine uh, for many, many years, since, especially since 2014. Um, uh, because the war didn't start in February 2022, uh, uh, or, or this year. It started actually when uh, Russia went into Ukraine the first time uh, in 2014, illegally annexing Crimea and, and starting to destabilize control parts of eastern uh, Ukraine. So, so, so uh, uh, a reduction uh, uh, of the U.S. support, of course, will be uh, very negative for the efforts of all of us to provide support to Ukraine and to uphold or to, to prevent Putin from winning, which will be dangerous also for us. Uh, let me just add that, of course, we welcome very much the U.S. support um, and also the increased support and the new announcements, and also with the more advanced weapons, the HIMARS and so on, uh, precision uh, uh, ammunition. Uh, uh, but at the same time, we, we also other allies are providing significant support. Canada has been uh, supporting uh, Ukraine for many years. There are, you know, a lot of uh, people in Canada who, who actually come from uh, Ukraine. Uh, there's, a, there's a very close historic connection between Canada and, uh, and Ukraine. The United Kingdom, but also uh, many of the Eastern NATO allies in the eastern part of the alliance have uh, provided support for Ukraine for many, many years. And now all NATO allies have stepped up, including Germany, France and other allies. Indeed. Um, turning to sort of the, the Russian side of things, there's several reports from within Russia of you know, influential war bloggers criticizing Putin directly for his military failures. Um, I just want to ask you, what, what intelligence can you share uh, about Putin's support uh, and stability right now internally? Uh, it's not possible for me to go into intelligence, but what I can say is that uh, 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 so far, I think it's... Uh, it's uh, 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 it is it, very speculative to, to, to start to speculate about uh, um, changes in the political leadership in uh, in uh, in Moscow, in Kremlin, in in, uh, in Russia. We need to respond to the actions we see uh, by Russia, and there is no indications that that Russia has changed its strategic goal of taking control over Ukraine. Uh, President Putin, uh, he doesn't recognize the right of Ukraine to exist as an independent state. And we also have to remember that uh, when the war was launched, uh, it, this was part about uh, not recognizing Ukraine, accepting that Ukraine is an independent nation, but it was also about uh, uh, that NATO should redraw all its forces mm -hmm. uh, from the eastern part of the lines. Uh, creating some kind of second-class uh, uh, NATO membership. Uh, uh, all those uh, allies that have joined after 1997 or after the end of the Cold War, uh, they should have no NATO infrastructure, no NATO uh, uh, troops, uh, so as to having two types of NATO uh, members and, and, and totally block any further NATO enlargement. Uh, so for, for us, this is part about supporting Ukraine and their right to exist as an independent sovereign nation in Europe, but it's also uh, about protecting some fundamental values, which right. has protected peace and stability in Europe for years. Uh, the right for every nation to choose some path, uh, whether it wants to belong to a security organization as NATO or not. And of course, the right of every nation to, uh, 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 to, to also um, uh, as a receive uh, support from NATO as a NATO allies. Uh, uh, that's not for Russia to decide, it's for NATO and NATO allies to decide. You know, there's a school of thought that goes that Putin is essentially betting that he can wait uh, Europe out, he can wait NATO out, winter will be tough, 
uh, gas prices will rise, so on and so forth. Um, that's one school of thought. Of course, it's, you know, uh, well considered uh, in your community and people have refutations of that uh, line of thinking. But I'm curious, what other cards do you expect Putin to play over the next several months to regain control of the war? What are you preparing for? Uh, and I want to weave in as well a question from one of our subscribers, Derek West, who asks, you know, is there any NATO country or countries in particular that you imagine Putin might also try to attack? So we are, of course, um, monitoring very closely um, Russia's uh, behavior, uh, uh, especially when it comes to uh, those countries in Europe which are not NATO members but close partners of of, uh, of uh, NATO, like uh, Georgia, uh, 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 Moldova, some of the Western Balkan countries, uh, um, uh, because we have seen uh, some threatening rhetoric from uh, the Russian uh, side. At the same time, I think we uh, we also have to uh, recognize or to understand that with more than 80% of uh, Russia's land forces now uh, dedicated, committed to the operation uh, in uh, Ukraine, uh, they have a limited scope for uh, uh, going into another country. Uh, what we what we have to be prepared for is uh, more Russian uh, cyber attacks, uh, uh, coercion, uh, disinformation uh, uh, and other ways of trying to undermine uh, the unity of NATO uh, and our partners. Um, President Putin has made a big, uh, several big strategic mistakes. Uh, he thought he was able to take control over Ukraine within days uh, uh, to oust the, the Ukrainian government to uh, control uh, Kiev. Uh, and uh, and uh, and he wasn't able to do so. Actually, they have been forced to withdraw from the northern part of uh, uh, Ukraine and the territories around uh, uh, Kiev. Um, uh, uh, second, so he totally underestimated the strength of the Ukrainian armed forces, the Ukrainian people, the Ukrainian leadership. Second, he underestimated the strength of NATO. Uh, um, uh, the unity, uh, NATO, the European Union uh, have been able to uh, uh, to demonstrate by imposing uh, heavy sanctions, uh, but also by increasing our military presence in the Eastern Part Alliance, and the fact that, for instance, now Finland and Sweden have have been invited to become NATO allies. Uh, so, uh, so President Putin uh, underestimated uh, the strength uh, right. of uh, Ukraine, and he underestimated the strength of NATO, and now he's paying the price for that. Indeed. I want to spend a beat on Turkey. Um, you've received letters from the foreign minister of Greece warning NATO of a possible second war on European soil. They've blamed Turkey for taking aggressive action, disturbing the unity of the alliance. They raised issues with the accession uh, of Finland and Sweden as well. Do you see Turkey as uh, a problem child? Uh, is it getting in the way of NATO's unity? Both Greece and Turkey uh, are uh, valued uh, uh, allies uh, in NATO. They have been part of this alliance for many, many uh, years, for several decades, and they contribute to our shared security uh, in uh, different ways, and we appreciate that. Then there are some differences, uh, some disagreements, and, uh, and uh, of course, uh, we, uh, 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 our message is that those differences should be sold by diplomatic means and uh, it's important to uh, prevent any military incidents or accidents for instance in the GNC and that's also the reason why NATO has established what we call a deconfliction mechanism uh, where uh, Turkey and Greece are uh, taking part uh, to uh, uh, 
prevent and reduce the risks of any incidents and accidents. As we have seen uh, previously, also in the 1990s, we had a similar situation where it actually led to, to some very serious incidents uh, right. um, uh, in the GNC or Eastern uh, Med. Um, um, uh, on Turkey, more uh, uh, on Turkey, in, uh, I will say that we have to also realize that Turkey is the NATO ally which has suffered the most terrorist attacks. Uh, and uh, and uh, of course, uh, we uh, take seriously when they have concerns right. uh, related to uh, um, these threats. Uh, and therefore, I welcome the historic decision by 30 NATO allies to invite Finland and Sweden to join the alliance. Uh, but at the same time that Finland, Sweden uh, and Turkey were able to agree in Madrid uh, on uh, a, a joint statement or a multilateral uh, agreement uh, on how to step up uh, uh, cooperation in the fight against terrorism. That's important for all of us. Right. And I know a lot of uh, diplomacy behind the scenes took place for, for those decisions to happen. But uh, relatedly, and at the same time, I know NATO named China as a threat for the first time. I want to ask you why, because th there are critics who will say that this naming of China as a threat, it benefited America much more than it did European countries. Is that right? Well, as we have stated uh, in uh, our uh, declaration or the, the, the communique from the NATO uh, leaders in Madrid, that China is a challenge. Uh, uh, to our values, to our security, um, uh, to our interests. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we are ready uh, to engage with China on issues of uh, common interests, for instance, uh, arms control and uh, climate change. And I met with uh, the Chinese foreign minister uh, because we believe that it's important also to engage politically uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, China. Um, uh, uh, but you're right that the fact that NATO is uh, addressing uh, uh, China in uh, the documents we agree uh, uh, as NATO is something uh, new. We didn't do that before. Uh, but that reflects that the global balance of power is shifting. Uh, uh, China's economic and military uh, strength uh, is important for the whole alliance, uh, also for Europe. Uh, uh, NATO will remain an alliance of uh, North America and Europe, the, the North American and, and, and European region. But of course, this region uh, uh, is faced with uh, global challenges, uh, terrorism, cyber, but, but, space, but, I, I but China is part of that. Secretary General, doesn't that change the, the nature uh, of what NATO was about? And, you know, to weave in a question from another one of us as subscribers who's just written in Dylan Topham, you know, as China flexes its muscles in regard to Taiwan, for example, uh, do you envisage issues with NATO members engaging in conflict outside of the European theater uh, and potential uh, triggering of Article 5 by these nations? What happens then? It doesn't change uh, the fundamental purpose of uh, NATO, and that is to preserve peace uh, through collective defense, uh, through uh, uh, security guarantees. An attack on one NATO ally will be uh, regarded as an attack on the whole alliance. And by doing that, we are preventing attack, uh, any attack on uh, uh, NATO allies. Uh, NATO is there not to provoke a conflict, but to prevent the conflict by 
uh, having constant, also by, by having credible deterrence and, uh, and defense. But of course, we do that in a different world than uh, we did when NATO was founded in 1949 and throughout the Cold War. Uh, but that is not a new change. Uh, uh, after the Cold War, NATO went out of NATO territory into the uh, Western Balkans and helped to end two brutal uh, wars there in Bosnia and Herzegovina and also in, in Kosovo, Ser uh, Serbia. Uh, and of course, after the 9-11 attacks on the United States, NATO has been on the forefront uh, in the fight against terrorism. That has uh, 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 led to NATO presence in uh, in Asia, in, in, in Afghanistan, so that we are faced with global threats like terrorism, uh, that requires a response from from our alliance uh, uh, is nothing new. Uh, what is new is that uh, uh, part of the the, the 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 security reality we have to take into account as an alliance is China. They are investing heavily in new modern uh, military capabilities. Uh, they will uh, most likely soon have thousand uh, nuclear weapons, uh, uh, long range uh, weapons, advanced uh, weapons. Uh, modernizing their their army, their navy, uh, and and China's coming closer to us. We see them in the Arctic, in Africa. Uh, we right. see them trying to control critical infrastructure. So right. NATO remains an alliance of North America and Europe, but to protect this uh, region, uh, we need also to face uh, global threats and challenges. And and China is a challenge to our uh, security. Right. Let me sort of move this to another arena of the China challenge, and I want to talk about technology here because. Um, the U.S. ambassador to NATO, Julian Smith, told FP that one of the things NATO can do is focus on China's technological prowess and compete on that front. Can you expand on that? Like, what can NATO do uh, to better uh, uh, compete with China um, or to curb uh, some of its uh, plans and excesses around the world? NATO's advantage uh, has uh, for uh, uh, decades since we were founded uh, been that we have um, maintained the technological edge over any potential adversary. Uh, and it is important that we do so also uh, with new and disruptive technologies like artificial intelligence, uh, like more autonomous systems, facial recognition, uh, recognition, and of course all these things combined uh, and, uh, and put into different modern uh, weapon uh, systems. Um, and that's also the reason why we are now uh, uh, stepping up our efforts when it comes to uh, technology, working more closely with the industry. We just had a meeting here at NATO yesterday uh, uh, with Microsoft, with uh, some new startups, uh, uh, both big and small companies, uh, on how to uh, further strengthen the cooperation between the private sector and uh, and NATO. Uh, we have just established a, 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 a big innovation fund to support startups. Uh, 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 to support uh, the, the development of new uh, technologies that can be useful for uh, NATO allies. And we also established a, a network of accelerators uh, to again to provide platforms for interaction between the private and the, and the, and the public sector between the defense industry and, uh, and, uh, and NATO. So we are doing a lot to maintain that technological edge and we have the great advantage of being open, free, to dynamic societies. And I just believe that those societies are more creative and more able to uh, maintain the technological edge than more authoritarian uh, systems will be in the long run. Right. And just staying on tech for one last uh, question, I want to circle back to Russia. You wrote recently that tech sanctions are 
severely limiting Russia's access to advanced semiconductor chips. And of course, that means that this hurts Russia when it comes to all kinds of things from household appliances to transport to uh, other forms of uh, uh, technological things that people use. But related to all of that, and we touched on this earlier, how worried are you about cyber attacks uh, stemming from Russia? And what can NATO do to better prepare itself for that? We have to be very uh, uh, vigilant when it comes to uh, potential cyber attacks. And, uh, and, uh, and that's also the reason why uh, over the last years, uh, long before the invasion of Ukraine, uh, the last invasion of Ukraine this, this February, uh, NATO allies have stepped up significantly. We have established cyber as a independent uh, military domain alongside air, sea, land, uh, but also now cyber. Uh, 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 second, we have established uh, a cyber center to help uh, to protect our own uh, networks. Uh, and we are exercising, we're working with allies on, on how to help them protect their national networks. So and we are constantly adapting because uh, the threats and the challenges in cyberspace is constantly evolving. So. Uh, part of the <clears throat> significant transformation of NATO over the last years has been to make cyber a core responsibility for NATO. Right. I have to circle back to the war, obviously, um, which you know all of us have an eye on. Um, is there a concern that NATO allies are running out of military equipment and munitions to send into Ukraine? And if that is a concern, what's your plan for backfilling NATO militaries to make up for all the material that's been sent in over the past six months? There was, there was an urgent need to provide, and it still is an urgent need to provide support to Ukraine, and allies have done that uh, in a way we have never seen before. And, and this is now key to the progress uh, Ukraine is making on the battlefield. Uh, at the, and of course, <clears throat> the only way of doing that was to um, um, reduce existing stocks. Uh, but of course, uh, those stocks need to be replenished. And that's uh, uh, also why uh, NATO allies are now working, and NATO is now working uh, closely with the defense industry to ramp up production, uh, uh, to enable us to continue to provide support to Ukraine, but also, of course, uh, enable us to replenish uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the stocks. Uh, so yes, uh, we are focused on that, uh, because uh, uh, we need to ensure both uh, uh, that to produce enough, but uh, both to provide support to Ukraine, but also to fill our own stocks. Uh, one last question about the optimal sort of future model for NATO. Um, there are all these different ideas for what NATO could become. One is to just keep on keeping on as it is with the US as sort of the senior partner. Um, one could be that Europe takes more primary responsibility for its own security. Another idea is that NATO focuses more and more uh, on the Indo-Pacific and China, if it is to look towards uh, really the bulk of the 21st century. Just leave us with some thoughts on what you think the best future model for NATO should be. NATO is the most successful alliance in history because of two things. Uh, first, uh, our unity, uh, the fact that we have been able to bring Europe and North America together, to stand together. Uh, I think uh, the lesson learned both from the First World War, from the Second World War and from the Cold War is that as long as we stand together, uh, Europe and North America, uh, we uh, can protect freedom, democracy. Uh, if we are divided, we are weak and vulnerable and, and there are a lot of risks that we are not able to face uh, alone, but we are able to face them uh, together. That includes the United States.
Uh, it is a huge advantage for the United States to have 29, uh, soon actually 31, friends and allies. Uh, Russia, China, no other major power has anything similar to uh, what the United States has. And I know that the United States, there are, there are concerns about uh, China, the, 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 the magnitude of their uh, industry, their, their technology, their, 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 their armed forces. Uh, but of course, if you add all, all the NATO allies to the United States, then we together represent 50% of the world's uh, military might and the 50% uh, of the world's economic might. So the first uh, 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 lesson to be learned and the first uh, uh, thing we need to stick to is the unity. Mm. Uh, uh, um, uh, so I don't believe in Europe alone. I don't believe in uh, North America alone. I believe in Europe and uh, North America together. The second uh, reason why NATO is the most successful alliance in history is our ability to change. When the world changes, NATO changes. For 40 years, we deterred the Soviet Union. Then the Cold War ended. And then uh, we addressed uh, other threats and challenges. I mentioned the Western Balkans, the fight against terrorism, um, uh, uh, cyber, all the other uh, threats and challenges that has evolved over the last uh, years. Uh, and, and again, we will remain an alliance of North America and Europe, but, but we need to take into account that China matters for our security, and that is reflected in the decisions we now have made at the Madrid summit um, when it comes to technology and all the other things we are, uh, we are uh, doing. Then I welcome uh, uh, EU efforts on defense, uh, as long as they don't, uh, do not duplicate or, or compete with NATO efforts. So mm -hmm. EU efforts to increase, for instance, European defense spending, that's very much welcomed by NATO. Actually, NATO has been urging uh, Europe to spend more on defense for many years, and we see uh, now Europeans are stepping up, but that's a good thing. Uh, EU efforts on defense, if that means, for instance, to overcome the fragmentation of the European defense industry, that's a good thing. It will provide more capabilities for NATO allies. Uh, we have to remember that after Finland and Sweden joined uh, uh, NATO, uh, uh, like 98% uh, of uh, NATO's uh, um, uh, also, 98 percent of EU's defense spending will come from, will be within uh, NATO. Uh, so, so, so that's very much the same. Uh, what we don't need is 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 any attempt to, in a way, to weaken the bond between North America and Europe. Uh, EU uh, is extremely important, uh, proven that throughout the crisis in 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 Ukraine, not least with economic sanctions. Right. Uh, but the EU cannot protect uh, 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 Europe. Uh, 80% of NATO's defense spending is coming from uh, from non-EU allies. So, of course, we need to stand together, Europe and North America. That's a good answer there. What I'm hearing from you is unity and evolution. Uh, that's all we have time for, unfortunately. Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the latest discussion from FP Live, foreign policy's platform for live journalism. If you're interested in learning more or want to watch the next FP Live, check out our website at foreignpolicy.com live. Thanks for listening to Foreign Policy's playlist. Our production team includes Tal Alroy, Laura Rosbrow-Tallam, Rosie Julin, and Maria Jimena Aragon. I'm Ravi Agrawal. Thanks for listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
here's a show that we recommend. It is a truth universally acknowledged that it is always the right time to read, talk, and think about Pride and Prejudice. But why is it this book that we universally acknowledge? Why has Pride and Prejudice lasted for over two centuries as the most famous romance novel of all time? This season of Hot and Bothered, award-winning journalist Lauren Sandler and me, Vanessa Zoltan, are looking closely at Pride and Prejudice, interviewing experts and trying to figure out what this book has taught generations of readers about love. Listen to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>